Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant. For those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007 and am the author of Beyond Surviving, The Final Stage of Recovery from Sexual Abuse. I work with survivors who are sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable, and I help them let go of the past and finally feel normal. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at www.rachelgrantcoaching.com. So today, I'm very excited to have here with me my guest, Maddie McVarish, who will be sharing with us about his 10,000-mile walk, that's right, walk, around Europe, raising awareness of child sexual abuse in 30 languages, becoming the first male survivor in many countries to speak out publicly about being abused and encouraging discussion of legislative reform across 47 countries, which would create an enhancement of human rights for 820 million people. So to tell you a little bit about Maddie, he is an actor and playwright from Scotland who currently stars in a BBC children's show broadcast every day in the UK. A survivor of childhood sexual abuse, his uncle is now in prison, and Matthew decided to encourage other survivors to end their silence. Visiting every EU capital on foot, he encouraged every European government to discuss abolition of the statute of limitations, which prevents victims from pressing charges and allows dangerous sex offenders to live in contact with children. 
Finishing his walk in his nation's capital, Edinburgh, he is welcomed home by Scotland's first minister, Nicola Surgeon, received an honorary doctorate and was awarded the auspicious title of Top Scot. I love that. You need that. I need something like that here. <laughs> and uh, just so you know, previous Top Scots include Andy Murray and J.K. Rowling, so he's in great company. And Maddie now works internationally advising on global campaigns to end child sexual So, my goodness, what a treat we are in for today. Um, Such a powerhouse of a guy. I can't wait to have a conversation. So, welcome, Maddie. So great to have you here. Hey, thank you for having me on the show. It's lovely to talk to you. Yeah. So, I would love to start out with just getting a little bit of a sense of how you got to where you are. You know, how did you become an activist for this issue? Bless you. Well, um, again, like like you just said, in the UK, I'm an, an actor. I'm also a playwright. Um, and, you know, in the UK, we have so many celebrity offenders, unfortunately. Um, but there's not so many celebrities who are talking about being survivors and stuff. So I figured, you know, I had an opportunity uh, with my situation that I could actually start to speak and see if that would encourage people. But um, it began, I think, in 2007. Um, I was... I was already on TV, I was an actor, I was writing plays, um, and my uncle, who had sexually abused me and, and, and my brothers, uh, he was still working as a school teacher, and he used to run mm-hmm. football teams of young teen boys, um, and I guess I just, uh, my brothers were all kind of struggling with different things, you know, with depression and stuff, and I, I just woke up one day and thought, this is insane, you know, our silence is so dangerous, mm-hmm. we're by saying nothing, by not by not speaking out and reporting my uncle, we're we're literally just allowing him to continue. Um, and so I think it, the problem is, I mean, how do you go and speak to your brother about sex with your uncle? I mean, where do you even begin? Um, yeah. So I did I did what I what I knew how to do is I actually wrote a play. Um, I wrote a play uh, called To Kill a Kelpie. A Kelpie is like a sea creature in Scotland. Um, it's like a mythological mm-hmm. beast. You know, the Loch Ness monster is a Kelpie, but probably the most famous one, but we have various ones. Um, So I wrote this play, and the play was about twin brothers who had been sexually abused by their uncle. And um, I invited my brothers to come see the show, and it was professional production and stuff. Um, And I think they just saw the the insanity, you know, the misery in our lives, and and the fact that we were the ones struggling, but the person who had caused this, you know, was still living free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, and after... I guess for me, I, he abused me until I was 13 and I was 25 when I wrote the show. Um, so after 12 years of complete silence, um, which within just a few weeks of the production, uh, we finally spoke together um, and we, you know, we decided it was important that we report him. So after all those years of, of silence, we, you know, the play was a catalyst and, and it led to a prosecution. So, and at that point, um, the... There was an organization in Scotland called the Moira Anderson Foundation, um, and I went to them and I asked them to come and be present at the show and do post-show talks and stuff in case anyone found the show triggering. Um, and that kind of created a model. We partnered with uh, Stop the Silence um, in the United States, and then we took the show over to New York. Um, and then, again, after every show, I'd walk on stage and tell the audience, you know, this was inspired by true events. And we had disclosures from people in the audience, you know, after every show. And we did that, you know, San Francisco, Chicago, mm. D.C., yeah, but then we realised it cost fifty grand to tour a show, but it cost nothing to tour a DVD. So my brothers and I, my brother's a filmmaker, uh, we collaborated and shot the movie of the same story, 
Um, and now that movie's touring. You know, I did a, a screening of it in Denmark a couple of weeks ago, and um, it's just showing all over the world and universities and stuff across the states. And it's just a catalyst for discussion. Um, and that's kind of how it began, really. And uh, so awesome. I didn't. It was. It wasn't my original intention to move from being an artist to an activist, but it kind of happened through my work. You know. Got it. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, I, that's so inspiring because, you know, the the process of coming to terms with what you, you've been through and then making that decision to essentially break the silence and say, all right, I'm not going to kind of hold this in anymore. I'm going to talk about it. And to, to find your voice through art, through creativity, I think is a, a great thing for our listeners to to be present to and aware of that. There are so many ways to go about it. And I love that it's inspired this journey um, of being able to then share yourself with hundreds and hundreds of people and uh, to get your story out there. And I have no doubt to make it um, possible for people to step forward and come out of their own kind of cage of silence. So kudos to you for that, Maddie. I would say that what's interesting, the difference between me and my brothers is that I've, I've never actually been medicated for depression, although I have been suicidal and stuff in my life. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's because I, since a very young age, I, I began to play music and I developed, became an actor and also a writer. And I think it's so important that you have some sort of creative outlet in that because it's no coincidence that any time a fascist dictator gets in, into power, they shut down the arts, they shut down the theatres and all the musicians because that's how yeah. spiritually you know, that, and emotionally that's how we explore things, you know. So I think um, yeah. just... I would advise everyone to find a creative outlet, and it doesn't matter what it is, as long as it speaks to your heart. I think to go for it. Oh yeah, absolutely, love that. So, you, so you go on this journey of writing this play, and then you know touring it, and then developing the DVD, and now screening it, and then the next thing, you know, you're off to do this walk. You know, where does that come from? How did, how, did you, <laughs> how did you find yourself on this ten thousand mile walk? Well, I kind of figured, you know. Um, if I, the, the, the movie was really catalyzing discussion, and I thought, well, how do I show that to as many people as possible, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I, and I had, because I'm from Scotland, I thought, I'll start, I'd love to show it in every city in Europe. But, you know, where are you going to get the funding to, to show a movie in every city, you know, and then do a talk? But then I figured, if I walk, um, obviously that'd be a lot cheaper, and I would attract the media attention, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, my uncle used to take me to the cinema sometimes after he'd abused me, and one time he'd take me to see Forrest Gump. And, you know, I remember Forrest runs into a city or any town, and he gets rushed by journalists who say, you know, why are you doing this? Um, and, you know, bless him, Forrest just went, well, I felt like running, but if you understand the story, he was he was so traumatized that that was what he did. You know, he just he'd, he'd lost his mother, he'd been at Vietnam, lost his best friend. He was so full of trauma that he couldn't articulate, he couldn't speak, and it just manifested, he just started to run. So for me, it was all part of it, you know, I was like, this is happening, every fifth child in Europe is going to be sexually abused if we don't start talking about this now, so I was like, I need to do something massive. Um, So it took about two years to plan, but uh, May 31st, 2013, I left London, I walked to Paris, and on to Luxembourg, and yeah, and um, so I would walk to attract the media, and like like you said, I spoke on TV, radio, newspapers, and 30 languages, and a lot of the time the journalists would tell me, you know, I was the first male survivor they'd ever met who spoke about it, which is crazy, because mm-hmm. approximately every sixth man in their country is, is a survivor. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so... So that was that was cool, and then if you can imagine, especially in Eastern European countries, I would start to get emails from people who'd read about what we're doing in the media, 
and they would contact me with cases that you know one woman sent me an email that said this is this is a picture of my son and my husband keeps molesting him what do I do oh, so wow. I, of course when I was in the cities when I was in the cities I would speak to the authorities I would speak to the government um, I'd meet the NGOs that exist and I would if I got emails like that and I got many I would pass them on to the people who were that you know those particular uh, people's support local support and so mm-hmm. just by walking we catalyzed various criminal investigations but um, the plan when I got to the city was to ask the government to abolish the statute of limitations. And that, you know, as you said, it's the law that stops victims pressing charges. So you have that law yeah. across the states. So yeah, so that so, that was kind of the political goal of the project. Man, I I love this, and you know, I I jokingly say when I was talking to some folks about the the chat I was going to have with you today, like he literally has walked the walk. <laughs> and, <laughs> Has, has done it. And one of the things that I'm curious about is, you know, as you're going out there and you're raising awareness and you're advocating and you're, you know, bringing in all of these uh, people who can make a difference and, you know, are in charge of legislation and these sorts of things, there are lots of different kind of angles that you could take. And I'm curious as to why um, you focused in on the statute of limitations. What do you feel it is about that in particular that's so important that we get that, you know, out of off the books? Um, well, that that is that's an outdated piece of legislation that's creating a child protection crisis. I met survivors in so many countries who, um, you know, they've they've grown up, they've, they've in their own way overcome the psychological trauma to a certain degree, and they've been to the police and reported individuals, and the police have had to say to them, "Sorry, that crime has expired." And then we've got a situation where we have a known dangerous sex offender living in the community with children and the authorities know about them, they've examined the evidence and they believe it, but they can't act because of this strange law. So for that very reason, um, and it wasn't very hard, most countries, when I started to show them this particular situation, they would move on it very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, because, but, you know, and again, in the United States, I know there's various campaigners working on this issue. Um, and it's, but on the other hand, you know, it's... First and foremost for me, it's about child protection, and second of all, it's about um, your rights as a victim, as a survivor. You know, this happened to you. you in various international tr- uh, human rights treaties, you have the right to suppress charges. I mean, in 1985, yeah. the General Assembly of the UN created the Declaration of Rights for the Victims of, of uh, Crime, and within that it says you have the right to access mechanisms of justice for the harm you have suffered. So that's your human right, you know, and that, that was... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's your work, no matter what country you're in. That's the international law. So yeah. this this domestic legislation we have in every country um, is in contravention of international human rights treaties. So we just need to make the public aware of that and get everyone making a bit more noise about it. Oh, I love that. I mean, it, it's a really important thing that you're saying there. I really want to drive that home and and make sure that it's really reiterated because, you know, when you have this experience of child sexual abuse, you don't have a voice when you're being abused and it's very hard to speak out as a child and then you know you go into years of recovery and healing and trying to make sense of it many of us and certainly I did try to avoid it or ignore it you know and I didn't really even start paying attention to the fact that this had been something that had impacted my life until I was in my 20s and so just by the very nature of the crime 
it is often the case that people aren't even prepared or ready to speak out about it until years and years and years later. So um, I really, really support what you're doing and think it's just fantastic. So, Maddie, you, you're out in this world walking, and I can only imagine all the things you saw and all the people who you met and the obstacles or challenges that had to have come up, you know, for this kind of adventure. Uh, what were some of the, the biggest challenges that you faced on your walk? Well, I mean, there was daily uh, logistical challenges. Like, you know, I had to walk every day 30 miles, um, and if I didn't stay on, tar- on target, then, you know, we, we had appointments set up in the next city with governments and I cannot miss these meetings so I had to walk mm-hmm. every day and um, of course if you're walking through Europe you know in the, in the rural parts there's going to be wild dogs I had to get vaccinated for rabies you know I, I, I had kind of repetitive chest infections because of walking yeah. up the Baltic Sea and stuff like that um, yeah I mean that was the, the, the physical challenge but really overall it was just a mental challenge but you know the more mm-hmm. emails I got from people who were cu- telling me that, that had inspired them to speak to a therapist or something like that. All these were little um, little triumphs that helped build it and then, you know, uh, move it towards the end. But I think, personally, the biggest challenge was um, some of the countries that I was in, and Scotland is very, um, has progressed a lot in the past decade. Some of the countries were very, very conservative, and, um, and a lot of the countries are very religious. And what I started to find is that those territories... Um, where it comes with the religion comes a fear of LGBTQ, and so there's anywhere you promote homophobia, it creates this kind of wall that's impenetrable. Because mm. you know I was abused by my uncle, and back in the 90s Scotland was quite homophobic, and that that yeah. homophobia was the reason I didn't want my friends to know I had any, any sort of sexual contact with a, someone of the same sex, because right. in case they thought that was that meant I was gay, you know, and so it's yeah. not. Um, there's this kind of ignorance that believes that societies that, that are progressive that are, allow marriage equality and things like that, they're, they're eventually, you know, they, they say, well, they're eventually going to allow sex with children and where's it going to end? In actual fact, the opposite is true. You know, it's um, homophobia um, incubates the silence of boys abused by men and girls abused by women. Um, so we actually need to, we need to become more progressive, you know, with equality. And that helps everyone, you know, feel free to speak, I think. So that, yeah. that was one of, one of the one of the kind of social obstacles that was quite mentally draining. I think. That's really fascinating. Every time I talk to you, Maddie, you just blow my mind because you bring <laughs> a perspective to this issue that is so unique and so on point, and highlights things that you know I haven't thought of. Nobody that I've talked to has thought of. And the link that you just put there, the association that you just brought to our awareness of how when we have these prejudices and we have this homophobia, how that instigates silence and and perpetuates this idea that, oh, my gosh, if that happened to me, all these, you know, the repercussions of that, and how by addressing that, we create an open door where people can feel safer and more um, capable of speaking up and coming out about their experiences. Uh, That's just brilliant, you know, really looking at how the social, the culture is perpetuating these these experiences and the perpetrators and the silence is such a beautiful um, approach that you have. Um, And I just totally applaud and commend you for it because I think it's going to have a huge impact on things. Well, um, so, bless you. Yeah, 
thanks. (laughs) So I know that, you know, um, any journey, you know, provides us an opportunity to, you know, stretch ourselves and and to learn things about ourselves and in general. I'd love to hear just what were some of the big kind of learnings for you from taking on this 10,000-mile walk? Well, I mean, I think in my childhood, I was... I'm the youngest of seven kids, and I was a very small child. And my uncle was my godfather. Um, I felt completely powerless as a child, and I was, you know, and my experiences were teaching me that I was powerless, you know. Um, and mm-hmm. so, I, I think with the walk and stuff, like, I realized that um, I realized my own power, and I, and I would say, you know, immediately that there's nothing special about me. That you know, I don't have anything that anyone listening to this doesn't already have. Um, but you know, if, if, if there's nothing special about me. But if there is, it's because there's something special about everyone. But I think mm-hmm. you know, particularly with child sexual abuse, you, you end up with this compromised sense of self um, because of you, these experiences that you've had. Um, and so when, what I did was when I spoke out, my uncle had said, you know, don't tell anyone; it will tear up the family. And when I was older, I realised that that was a lie. You know, and yeah. in fact, my family now now that we all dealt, dealt with it, we're more together than we ever were, and more authentically together. Um, and so I went from telling one person to telling hundreds of millions in 30 languages. And, you know, whilst I was walking, I was invited to, to the Vatican and I told Pope Francis himself, you know, so I literally told God, I guess, you know, so I told, and, and with every time I spoke, I felt more and more, I, I, I you know, realized how powerful we are as, as survivors. We actually have the ability to speak out um, when you decide to. Um, yeah. And that can be transformative for yourself and for the people around you. You can save lives by speaking. But um, damn, yeah. One of the, I would say one of the things like like the homophobia is one example. But I started to observe in every country the survivors. I would ask them why don't you talk about this, and I started to get different answers. And I realised that this violence is different territory by territory. You know, there's some people don't speak because of the religious environment, but other people don't speak because of the political environment. Like half of the EU mm-hmm. used to be Soviet territory, and there's a sensibility of secrecy there. People don't get the authorities involved in their family life. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a different silence than if you go to, say, like Cyprus has a culture where children don't say anything negative about their elders, and that's generational, you know, right. that's locked into their psyche. So mm-hmm. um, I've now written, um, the Scottish Government commissioned me to write a paper on this, and basically it's called The Quality of Silence, and it's it's showing how um, it seems like one problem, but in actual fact it's, the, you know, the number of, of, of reasons that people don't speak about this are infinitesimal, and so in order to address it, we have to do. We have to deal with what is it's keeping them silent. You know, why don't why don't people? What's the situation they're in that's kind of locking them, um, locking them in? Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, like I've been invited now to an organisation called ECPAT. They are based in Bangkok, but they have projects in 80 countries. And they they approached me. I was I was speaking at the United Nations in June, and they approached me after and said, "Could you work with us on a global campaign?" And I said, "Well, sure, but you can't do a global campaign. You know, you can only do." maybe 500 campaigns specific to why these people aren't speaking, you know? Right, so, right. So that's that's what I'm working on now. But that, that came from the walk. Yeah, I can't wait to, to read that report um, and to, to see how you bring all of that together. And it's such an important um, thing that you're doing there to help people really see that we have to have a unique approach with each culture, which, with each place. 
And I love what you said about how in beginning to tell your story, the thing that happened for you was really reclaiming your power mm-hmm. and, you know, stepping into that full sense of self-confidence. What I love for anybody who's listening is that you don't have to go on a 10,000-mile walk to do it. No. <laughs> you know, no. there are other ways. But I love mm-hmm. that as an illustration that one of the things that we can we can do in our healing is to reclaim that power. And it's also beautiful to hear how in breaking the silence, far from tearing your family apart, that it really brought you guys closer together. And I think there's potential for that for a lot of people. Well, I mean, so, I think, like, I see the, the abuse it leaves you with a kind of emotional cancer. And if you think yeah. of it that way, you know, like like cancer, the sooner you catch it and deal with it, then, the, you know, the, the better your chances of recovery, and it'll happen sooner, obviously. But with, with child sexual abuse, so, you know, with emotional trauma and cancer, you've got to go through chemo. And so when you start to go, yeah. you go to therapy and stuff, yeah. it's the beginning it's not the beginning of the good times. It's going to be a journey. And, it, and you know, within that, there's going to be sadness and pain. But like chemo, you're doing this horrific experience to get to the better place, you know, um, and mm-hmm. it's the journey. So I would say, like, I can't, I can't say going to therapy is going to be, you know, a, a hoot. You know, it's not going to be fun in a sense sometimes. But the reason you're doing it is to bring yourself and everyone around you to a much better place. Uh, and, and you do get there. And you get there sooner when you decide to start, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing, you know, as I've been working with survivors of sexual abuse for about nine years now, um, something that I'm more and more aware of is really um, taking a stand for them to overcome those fears that are there in the beginning. I mean, there are there can be a lot of obstacles that stand in our way to, before we start that healing. But, boy, once we do and, you know, we follow, you know, if we have good support, we have good guidance, that it's totally possible to get to the other side of it, to be cancer-free, essentially. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And it, but it doesn't mm. it doesn't begin until you decide, you know. Um, yes. And if you, don't deal, yeah. if you don't deal with it like cancer, it just gets worse. It doesn't go away, you know. You can just right. choose to not address it, and it's going to start to manifest in, in, in other things, you know. So it's better just to, to, to speak for your sake, for your own health, and for everyone around you, for children. But I would say, like, uh, there was there was research done in the United States in 1998 called the ACE study. Maybe you've spoken yes. about that on your show. Um, mm-hmm. And I would advise most survivors, you know, to examine that research. It's called the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experience Study. And it shows how something like that happening to your childhood leaves an imprint. You know, you're busy growing up. You know, your, your, your brain's developing, your body's developing, and someone comes in and interrupts that. And so if you're, if you're listening to this and you have a, a, you know, a low self-esteem or you're listening to the things that I've done and you think, oh, I could never do that, I promise you that that, psych, that way that you think about yourself is part of the abuse. That was the imprint left in your, your brain as a child. You know, and because mm-hmm. kids, kids are, they don't, they don't, you know, think negatively of themselves unless something's happened. So that, right. see, see that, that faulty, uh, low self-esteem, that compromised psychology, that, that was the abuser gave that to you, and you can, as soon as you're aware of it, then you can start to, you know, to stop believing it. You know? um, yeah, absolutely. I love that because what I really hear you saying there is that nothing is permanent at the end of the day, that we have the opportunity to heal these wounds, you know, on a neurological level, on a somatic level, all of that. And, you know, we we really can step into that and move forward. Maddie, is there 
anything that, you know, just as we're starting to come to the end of our time here together, is there anything in particular that you'd really want um, survivors who are listening to know? Like if you could give them, you know, a nugget of advice or, or some guidance or direction, what would you what would you want them to know? I would say, like, when I meet survivors, um, and it's, it's, it's a cliche, and I say, but do you know it wasn't your fault? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, but when you really grasp that, when you, mm-hmm. I mean, what I do when I'm giving talks is I show a picture of my uncle and myself, and I'm a tiny six-year-old boy. So, I mean, you see this 30-year-old talking to them, and, you know, they're like, okay. But when I show them that picture, go, look at that child. You know, right. that, that that child was, was, you know, that was me, but that little guy, he had no power against what that guy did. Right. And, and remember, and when you really understand that it wasn't your fault, um, and um, I guess that, that I wish that I could really get people to not just understand that intellectually, but within your body, within your entire being, go. This was nothing to do with me, you know. Because right. if if you you know, once you get that, I think then you start to really kind of surmount the um, the, the, the stuff that it's left you with, and go. This isn't mm-hmm. mine either. This depression isn't mine. Um, all of this mm-hmm. stuff, you know, this feeling of powerless, that's not mine. This was given nice. to me by some insidious person a long time ago. Um, mm. And it and it's taken enough of my life already, so, you know, draw right. the line and move on, you know. Fantastic. So. Was there anything in particular that helped that really click home for you? Um, was there anything that happened or any, you know, experience or just understanding that really um, helped that to ring true, like from head to toe, that it wasn't your fault? Well, I mean, on my journey, I was I was able to meet so many beautiful people in so many countries, and you can imagine different cultures. And they, I mean, everyone looked so different in every country, and everyone spoke differently, different languages. And then within everyone, within all these people, was the same sadness, and it was so heartbreaking for me to go, "Ah, you're so wonderful, and that thing that happened to you wasn't your fault." And I think seeing it in other people helped me realize that about myself. And I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. get that immediately. But I have met thousands of survivors now from so many places, and I go, but you know this is crazy. That wasn't your fault. This shouldn't still be affecting you. It's not fair, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. seeing it in other people was when I went, oh, hang on, yeah. And that's when I went back and started really showing the picture of my uncle with myself and going, look at this. That child right. was not in any way responsible. Um, I love it. And then, yeah, and I, I think that's a gift that the, the walk gave me. You know, that I wasn't really, mm-hmm. I wasn't consciously aware I was going to get. But I wish everyone. I wish everyone could experience that, but you know, you can. There's survivor groups. There's that you can go online. You can meet other survivors, and I think seeing it in other people, you know, that natural yeah. empathy we have as human beings, you're gonna, um, you're gonna start to feel it within yourself. So, so reach out and talk. Thank you for that, Maddie. That's good advice. So, for those of you listening, take him up on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really good thing. You know, go back, remember your little self. You know, it is hard because we, as adults who are trying to, you know, manage the effects of abuse, we sometimes disconnect from the fact that we were so little when this happened and yeah. we didn't have choice, we didn't have any say. There were all sorts of factors at play that made it impossible for us to um, protect ourselves, really. So, um, you know, reconnecting with that little person and, and giving her or him a break, I think, is um, exactly on point. So thank you for that. So what's next for you here, real quick? Because I know you're you're working on your um, paper. Um, you're working on, you know, this project. Um, 
is there another walk in the future? Um, what? <laughs> like, man, my feet are tired. No, Rachel, no. But <laughs> well, I mean, you, the thing is, I'm working on. Uh, I went to all these countries. The United Nations are doing a 2016 Global Development Strategy, and I'm pushing for that abolition to be included within that. Basically, okay. new rules for the world, and that would be awesome. So that's within the next year, but. I'm pushing for that. Um, I'm within Scotland, my home country. I think, you know, uh, I'm focusing on all the cool things that I learned from legislation and practice from other countries, the best of the best. I'm trying to bring that back to my country to make um, make Scotland safer for, mm. you know, for, for my kids. But then I'm going to go back and working with the guys in Bangkok, which is they're, they're, they've got projects everywhere, literally everywhere. So, you know, they mm-hmm. do have a lot of stuff going on across the states, and I'll be advising them on their work. But... Um, and then I awesome. think, you know, I'm I'm hoping to, I'm single right now and I travel so much. <laughs> It'd be really nice <laughs> to meet someone and, and have kids myself. Because, you know, like, cause, you have to take long enough. <laughs> yeah. Because like, right All now right. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Maui just now. Yeah, there's single. single. <laughs> Daddy's available, so. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, I travel so much. Like, I'm in Maui just now. Uh, tomorrow I'm in New York. The next day I'm in Paris and the next day I'm in London. I don't get uh-huh. home until next week sometime. But, I mean, it's it's impossible to sustain a relationship when you're always on a plane. Um, but, yeah, that's my future, I hope, is to now that I've, tri- that I've tried my best to make the world safer for kids is to actually have some. <laughs> oh, man, and I am so a fan of you. And, and if anything I can do to support your efforts, please let me know. And if there are people out there listening who are, you know, inspired by your story or what you're up to, your projects, are there ways that they can get involved and they can support you? Um, yeah, we've got roadtochange.eu. You can go to my website and get in touch. Um, I mean, I, I'm always happy to, to collaborate and stuff like that. It's really just, you know, uh, yeah, just get in touch. I'm sure there's a million things that we could do. But um, I'm really okay. approachable. I really ha- love love talking to new people, so just get in touch. Okay. So. Thank you mm. for that. Well, Nadia, I really appreciate you taking um, some time while your feet are on ground and not in the air to have a chat <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to come share your story with us. You are such an inspiration, and, and you really, truly are so powerful and just a world changer. And I am just thrilled to know that there's somebody like you in this world who is doing just such great, beautiful work for survivors. And um, it's just been such a joy to really have you today. So thank you for taking the time. Bless you, and thank you for doing your show. I mean, it sounds awesome, and uh, I'm going to start punting it around. There's so many people I know who would benefit from hearing it, so I'll, I'll, thank you I'll for share that. My, my networks. Fantastic. So remember, if you uh, want to get in touch with Maddie, you can reach out to him at Matthew at roadtochange.eu or check out his website, roadtochange.eu. Support this guy Get the word out about him, you know, contribute however you can, and if nothing else, you know, take the things that he shared today um, to heart and let them be an inspiration and a guide to you in your own healing journey. And thank you very much for tuning in and joining us today. And don't forget to visit rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources that are available on the site. And please subscribe to the podcast and come back and join us each time because we have so much to share. Um, Until then, take really good care of you.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.